I was all encouraged thinking Andrew had been praying for me all afternoon, and now I find out I didn't even know I was speaking. So, <laughs> If you all can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, we're going to be going through it in a different way this evening. <clears throat> so go ahead and get settled. And I'm going to have to take off the nice cloak here. Uh, what we're going to be looking at tonight is things that God has made known uh, to us and what we are supposed to do with what he's made known. Uh, the, the book of Ephesians is a book that's often preached on um, because it's so applicable. It uh, lays out in the first three chapters a great number of doctrines and things that we are to know. And in the next from four to six, it is what you're supposed to do with what you know and how you're supposed to walk. Um, so the book of Ephesians is very applicable to our daily lives um, which is why it's preached on so much. And we are going to look at things that God has made known, Paul's prayer, what we are supposed to do with what he's made known, and what we are supposed to, how we're supposed to walk. So as we, we get into this, we will be reading through uh, portions of Scripture and then uh, kind of breaking them down, uh, but that's what we're focusing on. What has God made known, and what are we supposed to do with it? So we're going to begin reading in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, uh, the first 10 verses. So it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So the first thing we notice in this, I mean, this is just a great portion of scripture. Um, it leads us to, to praise, the, indeed, the glory of his grace. Um, the thing that Paul normally starts off with is this idea of grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's something just daily we lose sight of, the grace that's been bestowed upon us and the peace that we have. And what's interesting is that Paul never fails to begin his letter with that. It's almost like it's the first thing he wants to hit you with. And immediately when you take a moment to sit back and you think of the grace we have received, you think of the peace we now have with God because of Jesus Christ, it puts us in the right frame of mind. So in a world today where people have no peace, they have no idea what grace is. They, they have no knowledge of who the true God is. We come together and every day we have this opportunity to just bask in the things that we've been given. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Carpenter. <laughs> and so the idea here is that with, with that frame of mind going forward, grace and peace, and it talks about all the things 
that God has done for us. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And this idea of being uh, chosen, uh, being predestinated, uh, being adopted as children, um, it's something that I think we lose sight of as well. I hear oftentimes, you know, uh, back in the day, Sunday is family day. Sunday is a family day. Well, for us, it is a family day. We get together with all of our, you know, 80 brothers and sisters, and we remember the Lord, the one who's adopted us and brought us into this family, um, how we're supposed to care for one another. And for me, when I was saved, it was a huge deal to come, you know, to, to be the, what I, when I thought I was the only one saved in my family, to come to a group of believers that accepted me as family. It means a great deal to be accepted. And so this is the idea that he's portraying to us. We're accepted. In the eyes of God, I think some people wake up in the morning and they have this idea that God's not particularly happy with them. Or, or there's something that they're doing in life that, um, you know, God's just disappointed. He's just looking at you like, why can't you be more like my son Jesus? But God doesn't have that kind of attitude towards us. God, God has, we're accepted. We've been adopted. And there's certain things that he wants for our lives. He wants us to be holy and without blame before him in love. Um, but there's not, I think sometimes that, that mindset, instead of dwelling in the grace and peace we have, that tends to carry out and we tend to ignore God because we're, we're afraid in some sense. But all of these things that God has given us should lead to the praise of the glory of his grace because we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So this is what we're going to focus on. Verse 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. The big question, man, it's hot up here. The big question for a lot of people is, what is the will of God? The interesting thing is that God has already made this known unto us. And the beauty of the fact that he's already made his will known unto us is that we don't have to ask that question every day. God's will is that all things will be brought about in Christ. And that's what he goes on to say in verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So we have the beauty of we only preach one message, and that message is Jesus Christ. We sometimes get drawn into talking about the topics of the day or what, what's our view on this particular thing. The, the beauty of it is we really only have to proclaim one message to people, and that is one day everything will be brought about in Christ, and they need to make a decision on what they think about him. Is he Lord and Savior? Is he the Son of God, or is he not? And so the, the beauty of what God has made known unto us is that Jew or Gentile, and this is a big thing for the Ephesian church. Jews and Gentiles coming together, there was a lot of disagreement. How are we going to go about this? They were still looking at it like you're a Jew, you're a Gentile, there's a difference. And what Paul was speaking in this letter is you're all one, and you're all one in Christ. And so it's the same message that we preach to one another. It's the same message that we preach to the world. All things will be fulfilled in Christ the problem is we don't tend to actually proclaim that message. Um, and the picture that I want to illustrate to you is, and we're going to get into it later in the chapter as well, is Jonah. I want you to think of Jonah. I want you to think that he's been given the will of God. 
He knows what he's supposed to do, and he goes the other way. And when people find out that he actually does know the true God and what's behind everything, they're greatly offended that he didn't bring it up, that he didn't tell them. And the captain comes down to the ship where everything's going crazy. There's everyone on the boat. Nobody has peace. Nobody knows what grace is. They're all panicking out of their minds, not knowing what's the cause of this storm. And where's Jonah? He's sleeping in the bottom of the ship. He has the answer. He knows exactly what the people need. He knows exactly why it's happening. But he's sleeping. And when the captain goes down there and he says, what meanest thou, O sleeper, rise up and call upon your God? It's that instance where it's almost like, and then they find out, oh, you're the reason that this is all happening. They say, why have you done this to us? And so what I want you to take away at the end of this message, we're going to start picking out a way now, is the people in your life that if they were to be saved would come to you and never knew that you were a Christian before. Because when I got saved, before I got saved, I, I don't even know if I ever ran into a born-again believer, honestly. And if I did, I would have never known. And there were people that after I got saved and I told them about Jesus Christ and what he had done in my life, they said, oh, yeah, I accepted Christ 10 years ago. And my response at the time, I was furious, my response at the time was, and you were just going to let me go to hell without ever mentioning it one time. Just one time. So think of those people in your life, in your day-to-day meeting, where it's going to be awkward, it's going to be uncomfortable, you don't know how to go about it, but you only have one message to preach, and you can't really get it all messed up. Um, Christ came to die as a substitute for them. If they don't trust him, then they will not be with him in heaven. Um, To keep that on your hearts throughout this message, that we will not be like Jonah after somebody's there and saying, you know, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you share with me the one thing that you had? And that's Christ. All these wonderful things that we have, we've never shared, maybe. So continuing on with one thing he's made known, the mystery of his will. And in chapter 1, verse 17, Paul goes through a list of the blessings we have in Christ. And then after that list, he offers up a prayer for the uh, saints there. And in verse 17, the prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know, and this is a threefold thing, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So the one thing that we have here, again, is a, everything's filled up in Christ. And we have a threefold thing that we're supposed to know. The first one is, what is the hope of his calling? Why has God called us? Why are we not just left in sin and darkness and sent to hell and judged righteously? God's called us out of that. And the hope of his calling is that we would be like his son. 
So God is working all of these things so that we would be one body complete in Christ. And it will happen. That's the beauty of it. Uh, it's going to happen uh, in, in its own doing. It's going to take place. But there's certain things that God wants to see from us because we want this to grow. We want people to be saved. This is the plan that God has had. There is no plan B, by the way. There is no plan B. We are supposed to proclaim the gospel, and that is what God has used to see souls saved. Um, so this is something that we are supposed to do. The hope of his calling is that we be like his son. And so the question this evening is, how are we doing? Is that the goal for us? Is that our goal? Do our goals match up with why we've been called? Because if, if not, if we think that we've been called so that we can just be at peace and sleep in the bottom of the ship, <clears throat> we've been mistaken. That, that's not why we were called. So <clears throat> keep that in mind. The hope of his calling and we have this next idea <clears throat> of what are the, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And it's the idea of, do we understand what the person sitting next to us is worth in the eyes of God? That God was willing to send his son, whether you get along with him, whether you agree with him, whether they drive you nuts, no matter what it is, you have to sit there and recognize that God gave his son for that person. And he saw that it would be the glory of his inheritance. And so the next time you go to have a, a thought about a brother or a sister, or you, that, that thing crosses your mind, I hope this verse jumps in there. The glory of his inheritance in the saints. And if we saw each other that same way, boy, would that change our day-to-day -day lives. Uh, the most valuable thing in the universe was given for each one in your place. And that's how I should see it. We're supposed to know these things. These are not things that um, it's supposed to be a, a growing process. It says we're supposed to know. That's the prayer, that we would know uh, the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? And so the thought is, with all these things that we're supposed to know the hope of his calling, and we're supposed to know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and we're supposed to act upon that, well, how do we do that? And I know for me, I often have a struggle with, I, wanna, I always want to continue to grow. And sometimes I find myself where it doesn't really feel that way. It's, I, I haven't really progressed. Maybe nothing's going on or a particular low point or Satan's tapping on my shoulder. I don't know what it is. But there's a point in time where all of a sudden I don't feel like everything's going how it's supposed to go. That's the point when I need to realize that God's given us all the power that we need to overcome those things. When he talks about, I'm looking forward to being a dad. I, I highly anticipate it with, with fear and trembling. It's the one thing I do not want to mess up. I'm greatly looking forward to being a dad. I've been a son, and I remember my dad telling me certain things, you know, hey, don't do this or do this that way. The one thing that I noticed is by him telling me that didn't necessarily give me the power to do it. If he told me when I was five years old, you know, dunk a basketball, 
there's really nothing I could do, and him telling me a hundred times didn't give me the power to do it. But what God is telling us is that he's given us this knowledge, and he's also given us the power to do something with it. And so oftentimes, when I have this times of struggle, and I go to a brother, or I go to a sister, and I let them know I'm having this struggle, they tell me, well, you need to spend more time in prayer. You need to read your Bible more. And I say, in my mind, I don't say this out loud, but in my mind, I say, I know I'm supposed to do that. I know I'm supposed to read my Bible more. I know I'm supposed to pray more. How do I get the desire to do it? How do I wake up in the morning with that desire to to come before the Lord, to open the Bible, to see what he has for me? I don't necessarily need to be told by somebody, hey, this is what you should do. That doesn't really give me the power to do it. How do I get the desire? How do we get the desire is to, to make sure our goals are lining up with the goals of God. What are we focused on? What are we looking at? Because what happens is we, we sometimes have our own goals through the week, and then we have our, our spiritual goals on certain days when we get together with the saints. And we're trying to do both. And the one thing the Lord told us is you can't serve two masters. And so some of us may feel like, man, we're really struggling, nothing's really happening, I don't understand why it is. Well, we haven't really chosen which master we're going to submit to with a whole heart. Uh, we've seen the effects of um, a heart that's not completely following after the Lord. And we've seen effects of somebody whose heart is completely after the Lord. And the, the biggest examples are, are Saul and David. Um, son who, so Saul didn't have a, a whole heart commitment to, to the Lord. David had a, heart after, or a man after God's own heart. And so we see that there's certain things that should be taking place. But if our heart's not right, if we're not after what God is after, then we're, we're going to struggle. We're going to have this, this struggle. But the interesting thing is, well, how much power has he really given to us? And what's amazing is that we have an unlimited power supply. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, we have access to. Not to just do whatever we want, work this thing out for me so everything's okay. But if we have the goals that God has, and if we're focused on with what God has made known to us, this is how we're going to live our life. And when we get to a point where it seems like this is too big for me, we can tap into an unlimited power supply. What's amazing is that Christ was raised from the dead. What's even more amazing is that we will one day be like him undeservingly so that 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 same power we have access to and again all of these things are being reminded to the saints at Ephesus for one goal that you are one people in Christ and this is how you're supposed to walk so this is the the oh man okay so this is the first two things that we should know and we are going to press on Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 Verse 14, and what's going on here, Ephesians chapter 2 is a very well-known chapter. It talks about that we are, um, you know, grace and faith. We are saved by, by grace through faith and that um, the unity of believers and that God has taken down the middle wall of partition. And um, in chapter 3, it talks about Paul's mission to the Gentiles. Um, came to the Jews, now he's going to the Gentiles. This was his purpose. This is why he was called. And in Ephesians 3, chapter 14... We have another prayer from Paul. 
And it says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth all knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So it's not enough just to know these things, to have the knowledge. Uh, the one story that comes to mind is um, Martha and Mary at the death of their brother Lazarus. When the Lord came to them and he's, the Lord told them that he'll rise again, he'll, he'll, he'll live again. Um, Martha said that I know he'll rise again at the resurrection at the last day. And so what happens is she had the correct knowledge. She knew that it would take place. And a lot of times we have the correct Bible knowledge. Uh, we know how things are supposed to fit in order. Um, but in, in that, sometimes we forget the, the simple thing in the love of Christ. And that in all the knowledge that we have and all the things that we can do, um, the one thing that we're, it says, to know the love of Christ in verse 19, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Uh, and the question is, do you want to be filled with all the fullness of God? Is that something you want? Uh, we think of the, the person that was lame by the pool of uh, Bethesda and 38 years lying there. And what's amazing is I was thinking about it the other day. He would have been there, lying there, five or six years before the Lord was even born. And every time the Lord would go, have to go to the temple, he'd pass by him. He'd leave, he'd pass right by him again. For 38 years, that man laid there. And when the Lord went to him, and it says, do you want to be made whole? He didn't say, yes, I want to be made whole. He said, I have no man to put me in the water. And so when the question comes, do you want to be filled with all the fullness of God? What's your answer? Is it, yes, I want to be filled with all the fullness of God? Or is it, well, I have no one to, to teach it to me. I have nobody to tell me about it. I have nobody to, 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 to lead me in it. Um, a lot of times we forget the simple answers. The simple answers is yes, we want to be filled with all the fullness of God. And in order to do that, we need to know the love of Christ. So in those moments of time when everything stacks up against you and it seems like you just don't want to do it anymore, maybe. You know, you've been late. Say you've been, you know, I, I think of Mrs. McKay and Awanas and Bob McKay and Awanas and, and laboring in Awanas for all these years. Um, and getting to the point maybe where it's just like, man, I'm tired. I'm tired. What, what keeps them going? And it's that idea. If they were doing it for us, whew, it would be really tiring. But they're doing it for the Lord. And the Lord gives strength. And that's the idea here. And, and when all else fails and you look around and you, and you get discouraged, you, you need to know the love of Christ and all that he did for us. And when we do that, it's motivation. 
it helps us through those times when maybe, you know, and the verse has been coming into my mind is buy the truth and sell it not. Uh, we're going to look at a verse later, redeem the time for the days are evil. And the message that the word is getting across is it's going to cost you something. And there's days when I don't want to get out of bed. There's days when, man, it's Wednesday night and I've, it's, it's 6.45 and I have to go home and, you know, put some water in my face and then go to a prayer meeting. And it's just like, okay, do I really want to go to prayer meeting? And that's honest. That, that time comes. But when you think about, say the Lord comes and blesses the assembly that night at prayer meeting, the one night I decided not to be there. I don't want to miss out when the Lord's going to work. And so that's the idea. When everything gets tired, when you're not sure why everything's going on, we just need to pause and remember the love of Christ. Because even with all the knowledge we have, if we want to be filled with all the fullness of God, the one thing we need is uh, the love of Christ. And so continuing on. In chapter 4, we have this idea of the unity of the Spirit. And the, the, the exhortation, and this is, again, this is what begins the, this is how you should walk. Based on all of these things that I've explained to you, this is how you're supposed to live your lives. And so he talks about the idea of endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. This is the message that Paul was trying to get across to them. You're all one now. And so chapter 4 is that, the new life we have in Christ, and we're going to break in at chapter 5, verse 1. <clears throat> and this is the idea of the, the, the way we should live as believers in Christ. It says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So this is what God has given us. He's given us Christ. And to, to God the Father, Christ is a sweet-smelling savor. And if we walk in that love... We are a sweet-smelling savor to God. So this is the idea. These first two verses, we have a sweet-smelling savor to God, and after that, we don't. It says, verse 3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Not, you know, let it not be accused over and over again. Let it not be named once among you. Never. Can anybody, should anybody be able to say these things against any one of us that are saints? It says, neither, neither, so that it's not just those two that are above, we also continue, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. The other day we were um, at Costco for lunch, uh, my dad, my brother, myself, and we were um, just eating. And so we, we have this nice uh, thing now that my dad waits for us to pray before we partake of a meal. Uh, he, he waits for us to give thanks. So we did that. We gave thanks for our meal, and we started eating. And about halfway through us eating, a younger man came and sat down next to us and said, you know, it really encouraged my heart to see three men on their lunch break at work give thanks for their meal. And so he bought our lunch. 
he gave us 10 bucks and he says, you know, which covered our meal at Costco. So um, <laughs> he, 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 he did that. And, and that one act of kindness from a guy who didn't have to do any of this thing really touched my dad. It really spoke to my dad. And he said, wow, I don't, I'd never think anybody would come up. And I said, well, Dad, we're, me and him, we're family. We're brothers. Yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, okay. You know. But, but that's the truth. We're family here. And so if we acknowledge all those things, those one Lord, one faith, one baptism, we're brothers. We're, we're part of the same family. But that little one act that that guy did was super awkward, by the way, super uncomfortable. But it spoke to my dad. And so those are those times during the day when it's like, wow, you see something happen, you have an urge, you have a thought to go do something that it would glorify the Lord, and you're like, mm, but I don't want to look foolish. I don't know what to say. I this and I that. And pride just takes over. And you forget the love of Christ, that if he was willing to be made what he was made for us, we can't go over and perhaps look foolish. And we forget that the gospel to those that are perishing, is foolishness. It is foolishness. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. We're trying to appeal to people now with the gospel, but what we see is that when we present Christ in his true form to those that are perishing, that don't want the wisdom of God, that want their own wisdom, to them it's going to be foolishness. It's not our job to, to convince them, to sway them to, to this or to that or to the other. The leading of the Holy Spirit is to preach Christ. We have one message to preach. And the Holy Spirit takes it after that. So I think a lot of times now we're trying, okay, God, I'll do your part. You do my part. Um, you give me the strength to walk over there, and then I'll hit him with, you know, the Holy Spirit and the power of God. And I think we just need to take God at his word, go over there, be willing to be made a fool, perhaps, if that takes place, but preach Christ. So this idea, um, <clears throat> to be known for giving of thanks. Are we a thankful people? For this you know. And this is the other no. That no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So this is, this is the idea. If any one of these things could be named among us, everyone else is going to look at us like this person's not saved. This person has no right to the kingdom. It may not be true. But that's how they're going to view it. That's how it's going to appear. We are going to represent the coming king as someone who does these things. He's not like that. We shouldn't be like that either. And so the interesting thing, it says, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. A lot of times we don't realize, but if we are living in a way that is ungodly, that does not line up with the way Christ is, we are encouraging others to not seek after him. And because they're going to be doing those things, all these things listed before, without Christ, because maybe of our example, that's why the wrath is going to come. The wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Let no man deceive you. Don't be deceived into thinking that because you're saved, because you're born again, you can live however you want. Don't let anybody deceive you. That is not true. You were called with a calling to be holy and without blame before Christ, before God, in love. 
So that's the idea Paul's getting across here. Don't be deceived. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. We're supposed to be proving these things. And when you see, I mean, we had a young boy at boys camp um, two years ago, Jonathan Jaquish. And boy, I mean, the kid was just a rock star for Christ. He just was. I mean, he was just a happy kid, encouraging kid, always had a good attitude about him. When you asked him how he was doing, well, with what the Lord's done for me, I'm doing great. I mean, seriously, the kid was amazing and really encouraged us all. And when you see something like that, all the other kids that were in his group, that were on his team, that were a part of his thing, looked at him like, okay, that guy is a Christian, and that guy is how we're supposed to be living. And so in a sense, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to prove to this lost world what is acceptable to the Lord. And so we talk about the darkness that's going on, all the things going on in the Middle East, all the war. You have people in the corner Uh, Pray for Gaza. Pray for these people. Oh, you know, they're doing this. They're doing that. People have no peace right now. People don't know the grace of the Lord. Their hearts are just ready for the love of Christ. They're just ready for the gospel. And are we sleeping? Are we sleeping in the bottom of the boat? Are we not knowing what's going on? So this idea that we have is we're supposed to be living this way. Our light is supposed to be shining. The darkness has never put out a light, ever. When it's dark in a room, you turn the light on, the darkness goes away. That's what we're supposed to be doing. When we walk into a room, the darkness should go away. We should not be overpowered by darkness. We're the light. We should walk as children of the light. It says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. And I just want to clarify this idea of what re- reproving is. We hear it often reprove, rebuke, uh, correct, and exhort in that order. A lot of times we end up jumping to rebuking right away and we don't reprove something. To reprove something is to bring it to light, to reveal it. And so to, to come up here and to say that, you know, um, you shouldn't be fornicating, um, you shouldn't be covetous, um, let it not be named amongst you, you shouldn't be foolish, talking, nor jesting. All those things is reproving those things. These are things you're not supposed to do. To rebuke them is to say, and you know what, you're guilty of doing these things. To correct them is to show them what they're supposed to be do. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And to exhort them is to, to encourage them to make them want to do it the right way. Um, so in order to have somebody's heart change, the first thing that takes place is reproving them. And so you don't always have to use words. Um, and that's the idea here. We're supposed to walk as children of light, and when we walk into the darkness, the darkness is reproved. We've all of a sudden shed light on the fact that these people are filthy and wicked, and they need the Lord. And so our, our simple presence there, day in and day out, should be that. And so think of your workplace, think of the school, think of wherever you're at where there's other lost people. Do they look at you like a believer in the Lord? As someone, when they have a question about spiritual things, or they want to get your opinion, or even they want to make fun of you, they turn to you and say, oh, you know, well, look at this or look at that. And so that's that idea. We're supposed to have that effect to reprove things, to, to bring them to light.
It says, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, and this is the, the one verse I want to take away from this evening, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is with everything that we've been made known. Knowing that we shouldn't walk a certain way, this is how we should be walking. And the idea is, are we asleep? Do we need to be woken up? And that's this thought here. Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. That's what we should be to the world. But do we ourselves need to awaken? Um, you know, you've heard the, the, the description. If you had a room full of bodies laying on the floor, some were dead and some were sleeping, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference until you shouted, wake up, and those that were sleeping got up. Then you would know who was awake, who was dead. Are we putting ourselves in a position to where if we are sleeping, that message comes to us, wake up. We've been talking about revival for probably the last year and a half. Um, the Lord has his way of driving us to our knees in prayer. It will happen. The, the scary thing is, what is it going to take for that to happen? We should be able to look at what's going on in the world right now, seeing these lost people, like Jonah in his day, instead of sleeping at the bottom of the boat, he could have been at the top, seeing the distress, the fear, the terror of the people, and been ready to give an answer why it's happening, what's going on. So what we've done is we've isolated ourselves from that so that we don't have to worry about it. And, you know, you, you get comfortable, and when you get comfortable, you get a little sleepy. When you get a little sleepy, I fall asleep. That's, that's the, the progression of things. And so are we not around lost souls to see their need to wake up, to arise, and to walk. It's a three-step process. First, we need to wake up. We need to get up, and then we need to walk. And how should we walk? And it says, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. It's no surprise. <laughs> the days are evil, and that's apparent to anybody in the world today. We have to buy the time back. In order to buy the time back, it's going to cost us something. And so the question I have for you all for the rest of the week is, what are you going to pay to get that back? What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to pay? Because we know all of the things that God has done for us. And we know that God has a desire for us to do a certain thing. He's given us the power to do it. We have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Is our desire God's desire? And if it is, what are we going to be willing to sacrifice 
to redeem the time. It says, Be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, be filled with the Spirit. And this idea of speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Uh, it's not that we go around singing all the time, um, even though I, I love singing. Anyone that knows me, I, I love to sing, um, just not with people watching me. And so it's this idea of we're supposed to be doing those things in our hearts. Our hearts should be filled with joy. We should have that joy all the time. And when we have that joy in our hearts, guess what? People can see it. Um, we go to Disneyland, and kids, like, flock to my wife like she is Mary Poppins. And it's because she's just a happy person. They don't come running to me, but they come running, and they, they talk to her, and they, you know, this and that and the other. It's because, you know, she's a joyful person. It's something that people can see. I don't do a very good job of it. So that's something I'm going to try to work on. Joy of the Lord in our hearts, singing, making melody. It says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this idea of giving thanks always. We don't just give thanks when something good happens. We don't just give thanks when it goes our way. It says give thanks always. It means that in everything we are supposed to seek glory for the Lord. And whatever thing that the Lord has brought into our path is so that he can get the most glory. And so in the end, we should give thanks for it. It doesn't mean that we just love it and enjoy a trial or a tribulation. It doesn't mean that we, we take it with a, with a smile. But in the end, we should see the glory the Lord gets and we should give thanks for it. If that's our ultimate goal, that the Lord would be glorified. And it says, um, so we're going to go ahead and go to chapter 6. This is the last thing, and it's real quick. Have no fear. We will get out on time. In Ephesians 6, chapter 8, what we have after what we've just read is this idea of order for groups of people in the church. Um, wives, love, you know, submit yourselves to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. All of these things we have in relational issues, what you're supposed to do going down, how you're supposed to function in the church, in, in the family, in the workplace. And the one thing I want to take out of that is in chapter 6, verse 8. It says, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. There is no partiality with God. You will receive exactly what you deserve. And that's the idea. It, it doesn't matter your position. It doesn't matter where you're at at work. It doesn't matter where you're at at school. There is no excuse, unfortunately. There's no excuse. These are things that God has made known. And we know now, tonight, you, you have made known that you have the power to accomplish these things. God has made it readily available. And God has shown us how to walk. And if he's shown us how to walk... He's given us the power to walk that way. So this idea of the, 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 the one verse that comes to mind always in instances like this is uh, Hebrews chapter 12. The sin that so easily besets us. Do you believe that you have these things? Because if you don't believe you have these things, you're not going to be able to walk this way. God has made these things known. God has revealed them to you. He's given them in your word. He's shown you by practical example in your daily lives. Do you trust what he says? 
And if you trust what he says, if you believe what he says, then you will be able to do these things. So the idea that there's no excuse, whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord. The Lord is no man's debtor. We're not going to get to heaven and stand before him and him say, oh, I owe you one. That's not going to happen. It says, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. So regardless of our circumstances, um, we are to live a certain way. So the, the, the goal for this evening uh, for you all is to, to be uh, reminded. Uh, these are things that God has made known. Um, and with what God has made known, with the power that we have, I want everyone to go home and to think about that. What in their life is keeping them from seeing that power work? Because when that power works and you see it, and you praise God for it. Talk about creating a desire to see things happen. In order to have that desire to read the Bible more, to pray more, we have to be willing to believe what the Word of God says and to act upon it. And so with believing what the Word of God says, that these things God has made known, this is the power that we have. Um, may the Lord give us wisdom to go out and to do it. And may we encourage one another as we go as one body, one family. We're all one in the Lord. And may he get all the glory. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we gather together before you with thankful hearts. Thankful hearts for all things that you have done. And yet all things you have done, Father, and we see that all things will be fulfilled in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we are able to be co-laborers with thee. We are able to be partakers in your will to have access to this power which raised Christ from the dead. Father, we pray that in all things we would, we would take that seriously, that day in and day out we would seek to redeem the time, for we know the days are evil. So, Father, do bless us as we depart. Place someone in our minds that we can encourage, for we see that your word says, encourage one another daily while it is still today. Father, may we take your word and apply it to our lives that we would walk in a way that is a sweet-smelling savor, for we walk as our Lord and Savior walked. We ask these things in his name. Amen.